Hey everyone, you're listening to The Leading Edge, brought to you by TechGC, one of the most powerful professional resources for in-house lawyers. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and today's episode is part three of our Patent Trolls series, where we discuss the predatory industry of frivolous patent litigation, why it exists, what professional leaders can do to combat it, and how the tech ecosystem can look forward in making meaningful reform. I'm joined today by Lee Chang. Lee is the former general counsel of Newegg, one of the pioneers in electronics online retail. He is now co-chair at law firm Mashoff Brennan, focusing on intellectual property law and their Asia practice. Lee is a two-time winner of the National Law Journal's America's 50 Outstanding General Counsel and numerous other awards for innovation and excellence in the practice of law. In previous patent troll episodes, we discussed tactics and strategies companies can implement to manage dubious assertions from trolls. But in this episode, we focus more broadly on why this issue exists and the extremity of the issue. We discuss the history and intention of the Patent Act, the special interest groups involved in perpetuating the patent troll industry, BlackBerry's infamous patent troll case against NTP, the reforms that could be made to improve the current incentive system, and many other topics. As you'll be able to tell in our chat, Lee has invested a lot of mental energy into this topic, and I'm grateful to have captured his depth of knowledge. A quick disclaimer that Lee is a very busy guy, and this podcast was recorded while he was in an Uber in LA traffic. So there are some audio issues that I hope aren't too distracting. With that, let's tune into my convo with Lee Chang. Lee, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I think it's going to be really valuable to dig into the patent troll problem in depth, which is an issue that is really serious. It's very odd when the patent system, which was designed to encourage innovation, is at the same time creating an industry that sucks the lifeblood out of innovation, many times crippling startups who are trying to build great products and services. I think it'll be first useful to get a base level understanding of patents. You mentioned to me earlier that a patent can be summarized as the granting of a monopoly right. And that made perfect sense, but also seemed very strange to me because aren't we supposed to be against monopolies? Why is this the exception? Perhaps you could walk us through the history of patents, why they exist, and we can let that guide us into better understanding how we got to where we are today. When most people hear the word patent, they associate it with invention. They associate it very much with gee whiz. And what they don't really realize is that there's a tremendous amount of mythology and fantasy around this concept of what a patent really is. And the word actually is something that it transcends American history. A patent, though, at its core and very fundamentally, is a right to exclude. It's a monopoly right. And as you pointed out earlier, Chris, you pointed out that we are against monopolies. And there's a reason why we're against monopolies. America itself fundamentally was founded because we wanted to have a system of government that didn't feature even the relatively limited level of monopoly and power of a constitutional monarchy. You know, we want power devolved. We want many different ideas to bloom and blossom. And our system of laws has historically been, and our public consciousness has been against giving and concentrating too many rights in the form of a monopoly. So a patent is the right to exclude. It's a monopoly on essentially an idea. 
And why did our founding fathers, why did the people who wrote and enacted the Patent Act almost two centuries ago allow this exception? Because that's what we have to recognize it as. It's an exception to the general rule in American law that disfavors monopoly. The thinking was very noble and practical. The thinking was that we would give this limited, at present it's a 20-year exception to the general policy against prohibiting against monopolies to spread the benefit of this creation into American society. But what people overlook and what people in the modern patent system, especially greedy lawyers, unscrupulous lawyers, and a small subset of entrepreneurs, many of whom are lawyers, is the fact that patent laws don't exist to enrich patent holders. It exists because we want these ideas to benefit society and the wealth creation is supposed to be a side effect of getting a great idea into a product or service that as many people as possible in America and around the world use. So that seems like a good segue into how we got to the patent troll issue, which is really an industry of lawyers who take advantage of the vulnerabilities within the patent system. Some really alarming stats that you and I have discussed really put this into perspective that out of all patents filed, 80% of those patents are approved. This makes around 300,000 patents approved annually. And I suppose these numbers wouldn't necessarily indicate a problem on their own. But the most shocking part is that 5%, maybe less, of these patents are actually incorporated for a product or service. This means that there is just a plethora of patents, most likely shitty ones, open for patent trolls to assert against companies. Understanding these numbers really brings some awareness to the problem and makes me curious about a couple things. Number one, how the hell are so many patents getting approved? And number two, are there just too many lawyers in the universe? It seems common to go to law school with all the best intentions. Perhaps your parents were lawyers or it just sounded like a dignified profession to get into. But man, without direction, it would be really easy to get drawn into the scheme of patent trolling if the money, which it is, was that enticing. This is a phenomenon that it's very much an artifact. It's driven by the fact that our whole legal system has very significant defects because we have a legal system, for better or for worse, that encourages litigation. And there are no penalties, really, for filing a bad lawsuit. And so patent trolling is a manifestation of innovation and entrepreneurship. But unfortunately, it's innovation by lawyers, by the most aggressive, greedy, entrepreneurial lawyers. And because, again, if you take a step back and look and consider, again, the American system that incentivizes and permits and enables frivolous lawsuits to be filed with impunity, it's only one subset. It's one type of such litigation. And the reason why, so why did so many lawyers suddenly, plaintiff's lawyers, including people who had formerly been filing slip and fall and ambulance chasing type of lawsuits, why did they suddenly become patent lawyers, patent litigators, starting probably in the early 2000s. It was because with every one of these areas of frivolous litigation, it's like a whole type of industry or business. Initially, these lawyers will find loopholes because they all want to make as much money as possible. They'll find loopholes in the law. They'll find laws that were drafted and written a little bit too broadly or where there's some ambiguity. And they'll take advantage of those loopholes in the fundamental American system. And they will make a ton of money in it. Just think back to, say, securities class action back in the 80s and 90s, 1980s and 1990s. That was a huge industry. People literally made 
billions of dollars filing a lawsuit every single time that a public company stock dropped, right? That happened all the time. And so what happened was eventually society started to hurt enough, companies started hurting enough that they started fighting back. And patent trolling is only one of many different symptoms of litigation and legal system where people can sue each other. It doesn't cost too much to file a lawsuit. So you couple that with this grant of right. Essentially, it's a property right. It's a property right that the government can give and does give, in my opinion, and I think there's a lot of evidence supporting it far, far too easily. Now, you would think, okay, if you wanted to grant somebody a monopoly on an idea that can benefit the world, maybe we should have some high standards to review whether or not this is truly innovative, truly novel, not obvious, truly something that's going to benefit the world and nobody's ever done it before. Well, theoretically, that's the case. People submit patent applications to the United States Patent and Trademark Office, and a person there, a bureaucrat, functionary called a patent examiner, will look at the patents. They'll review the patents. But because of staffing issues, because of budget issues, and because fundamentally of incentive issues, the USPTO is heavily, heavily incentivized to allow almost every filing. In the USPTO, they are rated. They do have ratings for job performance. And and they're rated based on productivity. There really is absolutely no productivity award or bonus for an examiner to disallow patent application. I think you're exactly right when you say that a lot of people end up going to law school, not because they view law as a calling, not because they hope to use their JD and their law license to further justice or substantially further justice, but simply because they couldn't figure out what else to do, what other profession they could enter where they could almost guarantee themselves a pretty darn good living. This is a profession that's pretty unique in many respects. Lawyers are in a profession where we're technically self-regulated. We're regulated by the bar associations of our states, and a lot of us belong to, say, the ABA, but we're self-regulated, and the belief is that we deserve to be because we're thoughtful and ethical human beings, blah, 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 blah. But fundamentally, we get to write the rules. <laughs> you know, we get to write the laws, we get to write the rules. And the rules and the laws are becoming increasingly, they've always been, but they're becoming increasingly friendly to lawyers, you know, shockingly sometimes, and excessively friendly to lawyers. The state bars now rarely, rarely discipline lawyers, even for some of the most egregious acts. And it's because the bar associations are dominated by lawyers. Very, very few checks and balances. I mean, most of our legislators are lawyers. The vast majority are lawyers. We write the laws. Some of the most powerful lobbies, if not the most powerful lobby, in most states and in America are trial lawyers. So it would be virtually impossible to pass really substantial litigation reform. People have been asking for it, begging for it, and howling for it for decades, maybe even centuries. The rest of the world, by the way, does not have either a patent trolling problem, nor does it have sort of out of control litigation abuse, because most of the rest of the world has what's called loser pays. You file a bad lawsuit, you lose, the other side can come after you to force you to pay their legal fees. That's a pretty significant disincentive. And we have the American system, if you want to look at the idealistic reason, we want to do what the advocates would say, preserve access to justice for people who otherwise can't afford lawyers. That's the concept. <laughs> we want to encourage and incentivize lawyers to take cases from the little guy. But instead, because there's almost no accountability on the back end, certainly not against lawyers for filing frivolous lawsuits, instead, lawyers are just having a field day in one area of law after another. Right. So thank God, after over a decade of abuse, defendants started to fight back. Journalists started to cover the issue. 
the executive branch and Congress and even the courts took notice of what was going on and loopholes started to close, the most egregious loopholes, one after another. But the most substantive reforms never got passed and they never will get passed because too many powerful interests would oppose those reforms, including large companies that are on both sides of patent abuse. As you know, there are very large companies that have thousands of patents. And in some industries, particularly the pharma industry, the whole value of the company is dependent on sometimes a very, very small patented feature. Right? So the pharmaceuticals industry lined up hardcore in opposition to any meaningful patent reform in Congress. And also a group of technology companies I call Monopoly Tech. They all decided that they were better off, even though they got targeted by trolls, they were better off opposing patent reform because they have big patent portfolios that they could use to assert against more aggressive, small and medium-sized competitors to maintain their market share. And they also didn't care as much about trolling because I think when they ran the math, they realized that they had a bigger customer base and revenue base to spread the cost of trolls around. They could pass the cost onto their customers very, very easily, or they would require their suppliers to indemnify them for the cost of this type of illegal inefficiency. So Monopoly Tech and Pharma lined up in the trial lawyers, essentially. And that's definitely not the only sort of special interest shadiness going on. One of the districts in East Texas has over time evolved into a total hub for patent troll litigation because it weighs so heavily against defendants. For example, their judges created rules that prevent defendants' cases from being transferred to a more appropriate jurisdiction, adding significant inconvenience because they have to manage their case in some rural part of Texas. As this district became more popular for filing patent suits, it enabled an environment where trolls could literally shut down massive companies, even if the patents could later be invalidated on appeal. One example worth noting is the BlackBerry case, where they ended up paying $600 million to patent troll shell company NTP. Walk us through, if you could, some of the details of East Texas and the BlackBerry case. East Texas is an extremely broad area that extends for like literally hundreds of miles east of Dallas and virtually all the way to the Louisiana border. It's a really lovely area, historically very rural. There's some oil, agriculture, oil activity there. And the biggest town in the area is Tyler, Texas. But it's not a place where you have a lot of big cities. I mean, except bordering it. On the one side, you have Dallas. And on the other side, you kind of have Shreveport, Louisiana. But in the middle, it's, you know, a very rural area. And in the early aughts, the economy was really, really hurting in East Texas. The oil industry was in the in the doldrums. And according to these reports, the judges basically decided that they wanted to help stimulate the economy. There's no reason whatsoever for East Texas to become a hub for patent litigation. It's not like it's a center for innovation. There are no world-class research universities there. There are no world-class technology companies based there or that came out of East Texas. Like literally nothing. This is a place that historically was known for generatories, <laughs> ambulance chasing, you know, suits, that kind of stuff. And so you had a couple of these federal judges who basically changed a couple of rules yeah, because federal district court judges have a huge amount of discretion in setting the, the rules of their court, how their courts are run. 
and a few lawsuits got filed. These lawsuits ended up becoming incredibly lucrative for plaintiffs. And at that time, patent law was such that what happened if a patent was found judicially valid is that the court could then impose an injunction on the alleged infringer's whole business even if the patent was subsequently found invalid on appeal. So what does that mean? In our legal system, so patent litigation only occurs because a patent act is federal. It only occurs in federal courts. It starts at the district court level. If you win or lose, you can appeal it, but only to one court, not to a local circuit court. You can only appeal it to the federal district court of appeals. And district court judges have tremendous discretion. They're afforded tremendous discretion in making rules, setting rules, applying rules. And so what the Eastern District Court judges did was they made it almost impossible for any defendant to get transferred if they were sued to get transferred out of East Texas. And litigating in East Texas is incredibly expensive because it's so far from anywhere. So there are four federal courtrooms, roughly, in East Texas, four main ones, and some of them are as much as like three hours, three and a half hours away from Dallas. So just imagine if you're a defendant, if you're Samsung, or in the most infamous case in the early aughts, if you're BlackBerry and you got sued and you were sued in East Texas and the judge just refused to allow you to transfer the lawsuit to a jurisdiction that was fair in terms of cost. And you're BlackBerry and you have thousands of employees, you have millions and millions of pages of business records. And you're sued by an entity that has absolutely nothing, no records. It has a post office box and it has two patents. If challenged, and in fact, when challenged, turned out eventually to be invalid, but you got sued and you were just stuck in East Texas. You had to spend tens of millions of dollars to defend yourself. And then an East Texas jury then finds infringement and awards a damages award. And you're faced, forget the damages award of hundreds of millions of dollars, which a company like BlackBerry at the time technically could pay or even low billions. They could technically pay it. And forget the fact that technically they could appeal the case to the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals. At that time, before 2005, the Eastern District of Texas District Court judge could impose an injunction and say, hey, this patent, which is a monopoly, which is presumed to be valid, it has now been found by a jury of peers none of whom are engineers or scientists or technologists, right? But nice bunch of people in Texas who had time to serve on a jury. They found this patent to be valid. And notwithstanding the fact that the federal circuit would probably find this patent invalid, this patent can be used to shut down BlackBerry, <laughs> right? And you're BlackBerry and you're like, I can't afford to be shut down pending appeal. So BlackBerry paid off NTP to the tune of $600 million. And eventually, one or both of the patents asserted were actually validated, but still. So I do want to close on a hopeful note. It sounds like you are not super optimistic that there will be major litigation reform passed. But if there was one thing that, if changed, would transform the incentive system of patent trolling, what would that be? The law of damages is just a total, total freaking mess. It's been reformed to some extent, but there's still a long way to go. In my view, if the law of damages could be changed so that it would be measured and graduated based upon benefit actually conferred. So someone holding a patent that they did nothing whatsoever to broadcast to the public or where they did made no effort to commercialize the patent, it's not that they wouldn't get anything, but how much they could get would be limited. So if you have a valid patent and you paid $20,000 or $10,000 to get the patent, 
maybe your damages would be some reasonable multiple of what you actually put into the patent. We want to incentivize entrepreneurship as well as innovation, activity as well as ideation. That's what should be incentivized if we change the law of damages to permit recovery or significant windfall recovery only when someone actually fulfills the original purpose of the Patent Act, which is to bring the benefits of a great idea to society, I think we would end up eliminating frivolous patent assertion. This has been part three of the Patent Trolls series. If you liked it, please rate and review us on your podcast app. Once again, I'm Chris Sands, and thanks for tuning in to The Leading Edge by TechGC.